0: Today on podcast by the Bay, the town of Portola Valley Mayor John Richards.
1: Well, the most difficult one, and, and I think the whole region's been experiencing it, is housing. Uh, we've had um, trying to trying to play, do our part in taking care of housing issues. We're we're not immune out here at all. There are people who grew up here who want to stay who can't. People who uh, are aging and would like to age in place, but. Uh, can't afford to keep their big homes. Um, there are, are, of course, people who work here who
0: can't afford to live here. Discussing all things Portola Valley and his vision for the future to come. Our housing element and working on setting it
1: up so that in some way we can address the issue locally as as much as possible. I know that we, we can't obviously make a big dent in the problem, but we, we hope we can do something to, to ameliorate it.
0: All coming up on today's episode of podcast by the bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul dot com. And in conjunction with Liberty Realty, Liberty Realty serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since nineteen eighty six for all your real estate needs. wwwliberty dot liberty dot Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And now, another podcast by the bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre,
2: and this is Patrick.
0: And welcome to another rendition of podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for downloading this episode. And we thank you for spreading the word to all your friends. And so today, we're going to continue our Peninsula Mayor series. And we're going to showcase the town of Portola Valley and with the mayor, John Richards. And so, Patrick, you got to go meet John. You got to talk about Portola Valley. So please, can you enlighten the listeners about John and Portola Valley?
2: Yeah, John John Richards family's been there since the nineteen forties. His grandparents were there, his father was there. Uh he's there currently. He has some uh stakeholdings. Uh he's an architect. Uh he's been on the city council um on and off for about ten or fourteen years. Uh there is no term limits. Um going to uh, uh, Portola Valley is like going to heaven. I mean, this place is, is, is approximately 4,500 people. It was founded in 1964. It's one of the wealthiest towns in America by by the census per capita income. Uh, probably starting prices would be in the 2 to $3 million price range. Some people have ranches. Some people uh, have single families. There is no real commercial or retail. There's a little mini shopping center with a couple of restaurants and maybe a hardware store, but over overall, the history of Portola Valley goes back to 1769. Uh, the explorer was Gaspar de la Portola, who was the, led the first party of Europeans to explore the San Francisco Peninsula in 1769. The area's written history dates back to 1833 where a square league of land was given to Domingo, Peralta and Maximo Martinez by Governor Jose Figueroa to form the Rancho Cañada del Corte de Madera. In those days, it was used for lumbering and cattle grazing. By the 1880s, Andres S. Halati, a wire roper manufacturer, had built in his country home in Eagle Home Farm, which is in lower Portola Valley. He built 7,340-foot long-foot aerial tramway from his house to the top of Skyline in 1894, though it was removed from his death in 1900. In 1886, the name Portola Crespi Valley was bestowed on the area from that community of Crystal Springs, now under Crystal Springs Reservoir, to then community of Searsville in the area of Percent. And Searsville was not too far from the neighbor their neighboring town, Woodside. Uh, so Portola Valley is well known for the people with their horses. They have uh, Ford Field. Alpine Hills Tennis and Swimming Club, uh, the Village Restaurant and Shop, uh, Portola Valley Hardware, Portola Valley Cafe, Portola Valley Town Center. Um, it, it's just an enchanted place to go. Uh, uh, Villa Lostorian Villa Estate located at 5050 Alpine Road and encompassing almost 20 acres was initially commissioned by James Graham Fair, the founder of the Fairmont Hotels and Resorts. So that's a little trivia. Um, According to the United States Census, the town has a total area of 9.099 square miles. So they, it's not a real large town, um, but it's a very expensive town to live. Um, and um, I, I think you're really going to enjoy it. The zip code there is 94028, and the one in Athens is 94027, which is also known. We, we must take into consideration they do not have any multi-units um, or apartments. Uh, they don't have any senior housing. Their government runs real efficiently. They can pay for their for their retirement for the people that work there. I did ask the mayor, do the people that work for the city of Portola Valley live there? And, I, and the majority of them don't live there. Uh, again, it was a splendid day to have an opportunity to interview John Richards. I'm looking forward to the listeners listening to him, and uh, John's going to do a bang up job telling you about what's happening in Portola Valley. They do have a very close uh, relationship with Woodside, California, which is really only a couple of streets next to them. Look forward to hearing your comments on uh, on John Mayor John Richards for Wood, for uh, Portola Valley.
0: All right, Patrick. Well, thank you for that kind of background about Portola Valley and some of the information about John as well. We're actually looking forward to presenting that real shortly. As uh, if, if anybody who's actually driven through Portola, uh, Portola Valley, is a beautiful place. Um, there's a lot of great little trails there for horse riding. Uh, but also, I, I've been on some mountain bike trails right there, right next to there on the Alpine, right off the Alpine right there. Um, really cool stuff uh, back there. Um, but one of the things, I am actually just wanted to, to kind of talk about this. I, I, on their website, there's actually a for-residents section. And I'm going to read this because I thought it was one of the coolest things I, I've actually seen on a town government website. And it says this, a word on being a good m- neighbor. How fortunate neighbors are when they know and respect each other so well that they can easily discuss and solve any problems that arise. Everyone can lay the groundwork that will make things easier should a dispute occur. Long before you complain, before you even have a problem, get out there and meet your neighbors. The long-range benefit of simply being able to call someone by name, of creating even the tiniest bit of goodwill, is enormous when a problem arises. This is something that every one of us should do and do sooner rather than later. A simple self-introduction followed by a cordial good morning or hello on a regular basis will put you on the right footing and make future communication easier. This approach is in your own best interest and will make you a better neighbor while helping avoid future conflict. Knowing your neighbor is a win-win situation for everybody. So I I just want to (laughs) say, yeah, I I just want to say that is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I mean, and that's what we talk about all the time, Patrick, right? Absolutely. If you treat people and you communicate with people and you build those relationships and you communicate I think that a lot of these conflicts, they talked about it right here. This is a way to solve conflicts, right? And it's really about communication. We talk about that a lot. So anyways, without further ado, I think we're going to go ahead and get to the the John Richards uh, interview uh, with the Portola Valley Mayor. And yes, we are excited to present this. So without further ado, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. And if you do want to reach out to us, you do want any feedback, give us any feedback, please reach out to us, Podcast by the Bay at gmail.com, or you can like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Podcast by the Bay, or on Twitter, at Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned.
2: Okay, uh, we're here in Portola Valley. It's the 27th of March, and I have the honor of interviewing the mayor of Portola Valley, and that's John Richards. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay, John. Thank you. Glad to talk to you. Can you give us a little background on how you became mayor and how you got involved in politics here?
1: Well, let's see. Um, I actually grew up in town. Um, Folks moved here in the early 50s, and I was fortunate enough to be able to snag a little piece of property back in the early 80s and build my own house, which led me to become a member of the Architectural Review Committee. And I served on the Architectural Review and Planning Commission for about a total of 11 years and then took a bit of a break. But uh, the working with the community and, and participating in my hometown kind of got in my blood. And then when the opportunity came to run for council, I did back in... Um, 2009, and um, so I've been on the council now for, uh, this is going on my ninth year. Are there any term limits in Portola
2: Valley for running for city council? No, there aren't. No. Okay. And how do you pick your mayor?
1: It's a rotated position, so we every, every year we, we select the next person to, to, to represent the town, and um, so it was
2: just my turn. Well, your family's been in Portola Valley for a long time, and how long was that, John? It's
1: a little over 63 years, I guess.
2: Wow. Now, you probably know more about Portola Valley than some of the people that live here. Can you let the people that are out there in uh, podcast land know approximately what the size of Portola Valley is?
1: Well, there are about 4,500 people, I believe, in town, 1,700, some uh, residences. Um, it's a pretty small town, very, very small in terms of uh, commercial. We have a few commercial establishments, um, but we're, we're basically a residential community. Well, I, I've, I've enjoyed coming to Portola
2: Valley several times. I think over my years in the real estate business, I might have sold one or two homes, just like in Woodside. Mm-hmm. But my favorite place now is Portola Valley more than Woodside. I, I, it's got that old hometown feeling, and it's uh, real nice. So for you people out there in podcast land, there's not a close Starbucks here, so you, you've <laughs> got to be able to be, bring your own Starbucks coffee home. Um, wh- why was your passion to run in 2009? What, what motivated you to uh, run for city council?
1: Oh, a variety of things. There, were, there was a longtime councilman who was stepping down after quite a few years, and we saw eye to eye on quite a few things, and he was looking for a replacement and asked me personally if I'd do it. So that was a major, uh, major factor. Um, And I was just ready. I'd been out of uh, town involvement for quite a few years. I thought I'd get back into it again. My kids were old enough that I didn't have to hang around and worry about them too much. uh.
2: Well, congratulations. Being a public servant is quite demanding. Uh, A lot of people don't realize the countless hours that you put in Mm -hmm. to be a public servant. And it's not only that, that, sometimes you get a lot of positive feedback and sometimes you get a little bit of a negative feedback, too. Um, why don't you share with us, you started in 2009. What was your, uh, as a city council person, what was the first couple of issues that came up that you had
1: to work on and it was very difficult? Well, the most difficult one, and I think the whole region's been experiencing it, is housing. Uh, we've had, um, trying to trying to play, do our part in taking care of housing issues, we're, we're not immune out here at all. There are People who grew up here who want to stay who can't, people who uh, are aging and would like to age in place but uh, can't afford to keep their big homes. Um, there are, are, of course, people who work here who can't afford to live here and uh, in all of our our few stores and, and uh, at the schools. Um, firemen and policemen are always always mentioned. But there's, um, that was the first big issue that came up. Uh, and uh, we're still working on it, and we probably will be for a while. Well, we
2: yeah. will be talking about that a little bit and more mm-hmm. extensively. What is the major source of revenue uh, for the city of Portola Valley? It's here? property
1: taxes. Property taxes. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so for our listeners, just like certain cities, Portola Valley and Pacifica and Woodside don't have all those commercial and retail and office mm-hmm. buildings, so they have to struggle a little bit harder. Their property taxes come in a little bit higher because they're more expensive uh, to live in Portola Valley and Woodside and Atherton. Um, talking about the housing uh, crisis that we have on the peninsula, um, do you guys currently have uh, uh, a fund for first-time homebuyers, or are you relying on um, putting money into Hart, like a lot of other cities? We are
1: do work with Hart quite a bit, and um, <clears throat> we're, we're working on currently on our... Housing element and working on setting it up so that in some way we can address the issue locally as as much as possible, I know we we can't obviously make a big dent in the problem, but we we hope we can do something to to ameliorate it. do you have any
2: yeah. senior housing uh, in Portola Valley?
1: not officially no okay no, well except um, I take that back We have the uh, the Sequoias retirement community that's um, a uh, privately run by the, what are the Unitarian Church, I believe.
2: Okay, and yeah. that takes care of approximately what, 40, 50 seniors? Or? Oh, no,
1: there are about 300 people living there. Wow, yeah, wow. two, That's... 250 or 300, somewhere in there. It's, okay. it's a bit, pretty big, big pretty chunk big of our population. Yeah.
2: Now, um, one of the struggles we have on the peninsula, obviously, is housing. And a new buzzword that is going around, um, besides uh, first-time home buyer homes and below-market rent is what we call workforce housing. Right. Foster City is currently working on a, on a project. The Saris Region was currently zoned for commercial and retail. The Saris Regis is coming back to change that mm-hmm. to develop a partnership with the city. It hasn't been finalized. Um, is there any partnerships that you see? And and I, I'm assuming you know the the what is your distinction between workforce housing?
1: And below market housing we're yeah part of our our uh, push in, in in housing is to um, encourage what we're calling affiliated housing so anything any housing that would be affiliated with a, a local merchant or the, the the priory, the schools, for, for instance, is one possibility. They actually already have a fair amount of housing on their property well, for now, their workforce.
2: Can you kind of extract mm-hmm. and tell the listeners what you're talking about? So, the
1: Woodside Priory is a private school here in town that's uh, originally founded back in 59 or 60, uh, run by Hungarian monks originally. Um, it's a Jesuit school. Uh, it's become quite a, quite a magnet for, for kids. It's very popular and, and a very successful school as far as we can yeah no
2: I've heard that name yeah. quite a bit on the peninsula <clears throat> quite a few people mm-hmm. from Woodside Atherton and Menlo Park their kids attended so they're actually building some housing on that on that site. they
1: they have built over the years quite a bit of housing and they would like to build more I don't recall how many units they have but it's uh, it's it's a fairly substantial part of the workforce that lives there
2: how is the policy for Portola Valley uh, for people building uh, secondary units on their property?
1: We're encouraging secondary units. Um, we're talking about extending the uh, opportunity to build secondary units in smaller lots. Currently, you're limited to a one acre. Uh, you have to have at least an acre to build a uh, secondary unit. Um, and that that may change in the future, depending on what we what our is there are a minimum
2: size so, besides the acreage? Is there a minimum size? Like a, there's a maximum ma- size. Maximum, what is the maximum? A thousand size? 1,000 square feet. Thousand square feet. Yeah. You know, I know in Atherton, I'm hearing more and more people that are uh, their houses are even far exceed the economy, mm. uh, and they're having a harder time selling them. And they're talking about building secondary units so that they could rent it out and then uh, travel the world, I guess, with all that money. Yeah. So, um, what is your, um, you know, not putting you on the spot, what do you think Portola Valley uh, could do to impact the housing situation? Um, obviously, in Portola Valley, you have a lot of seniors that have probably bought into Portola Valley 30, 40 years ago, and they really can't go anywhere. Um, and then we have a harder time keeping the workforce housing here. Any, sure. any ideas on your part? Sure.
1: Well, I think ADUs are, are the secondary units are, are a- great way to go and i'm actually building one myself for my for my daughter to live in in our backyard
2: well that's excellent how many how many uh, children do you have i have two kids excellent excellent so you're trying to keep them here in portola valley too yeah
1: right and uh so that's that's one of the things that has been become quite popular we've we're putting up a number of those every year in town and um uh, we're looking for other solutions as well
2: okay so um I'm, I'm assuming you, you, you don't have very many multi. Do you have any apartments in Portland? No,
1: there are no apartments per se. Um, uh, there may be some multiple, f- two or three family homes on the Priory campus for sure. I, I'm not. I, I'm really not sure what they've got up there, um, but it's primarily single family homes.
2: Okay, how many acres? I think you said forty-four acres. Is that what Portola Valley is? How large is Portola?
1: No, no, it's quite a bit bigger than that. You know, I don't know what the square foot, the area is. Um, It's uh, several square miles for sure. Um, It's a, it's a, it's a pretty substantial piece of property that uh, is largely dedicated to open space.
2: as, as we all realize in most of the cities, that community development money got taken away from the state uh, when they, we had a crisis in here. How is Portola Valley uh, dealing uh, w- uh, with reserves and the infrastructures that they have, um, meaning your roads, your sewer, and all that stuff? Are you guys finding uh, enough funds to be able to maintain that? Or
1: We've or- done really well, yeah. We're fortunate. We've got a, a great staff here that has been maintaining our, our roadways and... Um, we're, we've got some of the most uh, we're rated with with some of the highest grade roads in, in the state. Um, yeah, I think we're we're doing quite well on that that score.
2: So, so you um you're in a you're in a position of reserves, and you have reserves for we the We do. City. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to tell us what those reserves are? Approximately, I, off the top of my head, I don't really have that. Okay, there. well, no I problem. I don't put you on the spot on that. Um, one of the crises that we have throughout the state, especially in San Mateo County and Santa Clara County is being able to fund um, our, our pensions for the people that have worked uh, for, for the city so diligently. Um, is that going to be a problem for Portola Valley?
1: Again, we've managed to stay ahead of the curve on that one. We're in pretty good shape. Uh, we've, of course, we've had a very very small staff for years and years, so it's, uh, we aren't quite as impacted as other towns, but uh, we've, we've managed to keep ahead of it. I think we're in as good a shape as you can be at this point.
2: What is it, um, uh, the situation with transportation? Is there a, a uh, Sam Trims bus that comes through here?
1: There is. It's primarily used, I believe, by uh, school kids going to Woodside High School and MA. Um, it's very few people. I uh, use it for getting to work and that sort of thing. It's uh,
2: well coming back is kind of coming back to the Andy Griffin days or Mayberry and all that mm-hmm. stuff to come back to Portola Valley. Um, it's just a gorgeous place to be at, and you're very lucky to uh, to live here. and And hopefully your children will continue on there too. Um, with the transportation issue, the peninsula is suffering some uh, gridlock. Okay, and um, mm-hmm. because of the high demand for Google and Facebook and all that kind of stuff, as a leader in the community, what what are your thoughts? You're you're kind of protected back here, and you're kind of isolated from all that traffic congestion, for except. If you go near Woodside Road, or you go to 280 or 101, so I mean, what's your thoughts as a leader? What do you think the the peninsula could do or should do?
1: Well, I, I, there's a lot of work going into into transit that uh, indirectly affects us, of course, because we're we're part of the community, the regional community, but we are fortunate enough to be on this somewhat of a dead end out here we don't have a road that goes over the coast running through town like woodside does uh, so we our traffic impacts are mostly self-generated it's uh, people who live here to go to work and people who work here during the day driving in in the morning um, wow. which is a sub- substantial number of people um, but it's uh, currently the on the peninsula the east-west connection going from up here in the hills down into the into Porto, into Palo Alto, and Redwood City, and Menlo Park is uh, one of the most difficult. To there, there are no open transit routes for people to use. Well, you
2: know, you're bringing some good thought process. <clears throat> one of the things with podcasts by the Bay is we're trying to get the mayors to communicate more than when they go to Monterey and they see a PowerPoint presentation and they're learning. <clears> oh, <throat> no, I like this mayor. This mayor's got good ideas. So. We're trying to put that out there, and we're going to encourage you to listen to the other podcast to find out what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But dwelling on the transportation uh, crisis that we have on the peninsula, um, you're probably aware of it that we don't have a transit district. Um, Basically, Sam is fighting for their money. Caltrain's is fighting for their money. Um, We may have a government officer or director. I think Seamus Murphy, who had an opportunity to interview very informed young man that's uh, going back to Sacramento quite a bit. Um, the only thing they claim that we have on the peninsula that can- connects uh, transportation is the clipper card. Uh, do you think that we can do a better job of somehow connecting the transit system to work more
1: cooperatively together? I I, well, I think we need to. And obviously that as uh, the economy improves and people more jobs are created, and and more people move into the into the county. We have to uh, figure out a way to move them around. It's it, the gridlock is becoming probably the number one complaint that we hear. Absolutely, e- even that's even here.
2: higher than that's how higher than housing. Believe it or not. So, yeah. I'm, in in your perspective, and then i will lead into another question: Do you think that we should look at a regional transit district?
1: Absolutely, I okay. agree, I think we should. Yeah. Well,
2: I'm glad you. Yeah. I, I share that same yeah. view. That doesn't yeah. mean that everybody that I've interviewed mm-hmm. does share that. Um, and that ties into another controversial thing, and it, it probably doesn't affect, might affect Portola Valley, but it's going to affect most of the cities on the peninsula. And that's Senator Weiner's bill, 827. Um, have you had an opportunity to take a look at Not it? Not familiar with that. Okay. No. Uh, well, basically, he wants to, and, and I'm going to try to put it in a nice way, he wants to put the state in charge of dictating uh, housing. Oh, sure. No, no I,
1: I I have seen that. Uh, some in- information about that bill, it um, could be a difficult thing for us to to deal with. I think it would affect Portola Valley as well. I mean, yeah, most of it. the cities, mm-hmm. I
2: think, mm-hmm. are opposed to it, but mm-hmm. I don't want to speak for any of those cities yeah. Yeah. that are, are in support of it. Um, so going back to the... Um, I had an opportunity to talk briefly to uh, Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom, and he indicated by some study that there was some 300,000 units in the state of California plus that were short uh, mm. on housing. Uh, do you have any ideas on yourself that how they could do that, whether uh, encouraging tiny houses or encouraging uh, density? What do, what do you think the, the, the solution to the problem is?
1: That's something that our, we've had multiple ad hoc committees over the last few years dealing with Ideas of how to deal with that. Um, lots of different ideas, and all of these, all of the above: the, the ADUs, the affiliated housing, possibly housing on town-owned property. Um, all these things are being are being investigated right now by by the town staff and by the by the council and the planning commission. And uh, I think we have to do them all. So. Does Does the town of
2: Portola Valley? Um, Hold any property themselves. um, Like Foster City and some of the Mm -hmm. cities, they have housing which uh, is below market rent Mm -hmm. or something that they help.
1: Right, so the 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 town has some parcels, and that was investigated recently to see if any of them would be suitable for below market rate or other types of housing, and um, still in the process of looking into that. That hasn't been decided yet. We don't have a lot of property available, and many of the properties that the town owns are just remnants of old easements and that sort of thing that wouldn't be suitable for anything. Um, but there may be a few that are, that are big enough to do something with. So,
2: I had yeah. an opportunity to um, also speak with um, uh, Supervisor David Pine. Um, I'm not sure if you know him, mm-hmm. but if you do, sure. he's kind of into the clean energy and yeah. also uh, into the environment of the global warming and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, There's extensive reports out there talking about global warming and talking about sea rise level and and rising. Um, I live in a town, where uh, Foster City, where we're having a parcel tax to come up on on improving the levy. Um, Is there anything that you guys are doing in Portola Valley uh, to protect uh, your citizens? Because um, they estimate if we have catastrophe in the bay area when we when we don't know whether it's the next 50 75 years or Mm -hmm. 15 years do you have any disaster program that you currently have established in the city of portola valley
1: we do we have a very active emergency preparedness committee that uh has meets every um, every month and has put together a lot of programs to to meet just that that eventuality and we're we're right in the middle of earthquake country. Right, sit on the uh, San Andreas Fault. Uh, matter of fact, this building was located here. From the original original town was town hall was situated in an old school that was just on the other side of the, this little creek here, um, and it was uh, decided to build here so that we'd be a little in a little more stable piece of property that wouldn't wouldn't be affected as much by an earthquake. So that's that's high on a lot of people's minds, and that and fires. Um, We'd be likely to be cut off in a big, big event, an earthquake or a fire, because we're only only accesses un, under Highway 280, and if those bridges were damaged, we might not, we might pretty much be on our own for a while.
2: Well, you know, it was kind of scary. I think when we saw the uh, Petaluma fire in Napa, um, because it was my understanding when I read, and I think they they passed some legislation, the fire was not covered under mm-hmm. FEMA. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think they've opened those doors that fire is, under certain conditions, Mm -hmm. taken care of. So it would be something Mm -hmm. to worry about. Uh, One of the things uh, in a recent uh, discussion with Foster City Council, um, from um, somebody that did a little research on the disaster, they figured that we may need supplies uh, for 30 days. Now, our town is only about 33,000. And they estimated that we need $45 million to have enough supplies to take care of our citizens, and your mm-hmm. your town, which is quite a bit smaller, mm-hmm. um, I'm assuming that's um, substantially smaller. So, so have you earmarked uh, emergency funds in case something happens?
1: Not so much. We we don't uh, we, we really we push for people to become involved and be, and be self reliant as far as be prepared themselves in their own homes for a, a big event. Um, the the town itself would be, would be where the emergency operations would be centered, right in this room, um, and uh, we'd be be here to direct people to the the proper agencies for help. Well, you know, um, one of the
2: concerns, um, <clears throat> and it kind of dovetails into the transportation and the housing. Uh, most of the police and fire, for probably twenty plus years, probably thirty plus years, uh, don't live immediately in in, in our own towns. Um, mm-hmm. And we always say we're going to build more housing for them. Well, the buzzword that sounds great, but you know what? The police and fire are living in the outskirts because they can get more for their dollar. Um, one of the advents of of the shortage of police and fire at any emergency time is very small. We we really are impact more impacted than we realize. Um, we are continuing to build on the peninsula. Um, and we're building on based on some environmental reports that I think are a little outdated. Do you have an opinion on that?
1: I'm not sure I understand the, the question. Well,
2: what the question is, is when they uh, develop some property out there, mm-hmm. they do an environmental impact report. The mm-hmm. environmental impact report is also designed to look at traffic studies, impact of police mm-hmm. and fire. Um, and with the police officers and firefighters out of the area at the time, we are really all setting most cities at a danger spot. Um, that's why they formed what we call the CERTs, Certified mm-hmm, Emergency right. Response Team. Do you have
1: one in Portola Valley? We do. It's, uh, it, we have one that's uh, fairly active, and uh, we actually share some of the responsibilities with, with Woodside. Our, our communities overlap quite a bit. Um, speaking about the... about. Building in in areas and not and not maybe not uh, addressing the the environmental impacts enough. Uh, I think the bigger question is is uh, water and uh, especially building new developments where we've our water supplies are already stretched to the limit. Uh, I'm not sure that we've been um, been careful enough to make sure that those supplies are adequate for the for new development. That's That one worries me more than uh, uh,
2: Now, when somebody wants to uh, <clears throat> build a property, do they have a period of time that they're going to mm-hmm. have to wait to get that water permit or the sewer permit, or is that readily accessible for them? In
1: this town, that's readily accessible. Uh, our water supply comes from mostly from Hetch Hetchy, and it, it's been adequate lately. It's well, I'm intrigued years, that you,
2: you're, you're developing or have developed over the time a partnership with Woodside, mm-hmm. uh, and that seems to work now. What, uh, the partnership is to kind of help each other out in case there was a uh, disaster.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's very informal. We our our committees, our emergency preparedness committee. We have uh, people who who show up here from from Woodside when we meet, and I believe some people from our committees go there occasionally. So we just it's a it's a sharing of information and and um, and. Helping each other out, figure out how to how best to approach things. It's uh,
2: now some cities <coughs> we're not asking for the location. Some cities have put um, uh, locations where they store stuff uh, mm-hmm. for cert people. Have you guys developed that yet? Too
1: they are there are some. It's they're primarily in in uh, in the neighborhoods where they serve or will be needed the most. So each neighborhood has its has its neighborhood leader, and there are sometimes supplies there. Emergency supplies there. We have some supplies here at the town hall that are are meant to, um, to fill in in case we're cut off for a period of time. You know,
2: I, maybe I, I overlooked the question, but I'm going to go back to it. How many people <clears throat> that work for the city of Portola Valley live in Portola Valley?
1: The work here, I don't know that any, any of them do. Okay. Uh, the, for the, you're talking about the town staff? Yeah, the town, yeah, the town staff. staff. I don't believe any of the people who work in, who are on the staff live here. Okay. Yeah. And On the other <laughs> hand, the town has a very large uh, volunteer group. We have 16 committees, and every one of them is, uh, is uh, town resident. So. Well, give,
2: a, <clears throat> give, give the listeners a highlight of the committees that are available because maybe there's somebody out there in Portola Valley that mm-hmm. didn't know about these committees. So give us a couple highlights of some well, of the committees.
1: Well, we've got emergency preparedness. We've got a, uh, a conservation committee. We've got uh, Parks and Rec Committee. Um, Let's see. I'm going to draw a blank here. Uh, Parks and Rec um, Cultural Arts Committee. Um, Let's see. Yeah. Parks and Rec. You have a (laughs) historical committee too. We have a historical committee. Yeah. Uh, We have an open space committee. What am I forgetting? Transportation? Uh, yeah. Well, it's um, bicycle and pedestrian safety committee. Uh, do
2: you have any mini bike road? Yeah, you do. You've got oh, a lot of it. how many miles of bike uh, lanes you have? It's I, it, it's actually I'm a bike rider and I mm-hmm. get out at least four times a week and to come out here mm-hmm. is beautiful. I yeah. mean, you know, you're not worried about being hit by a car.
1: Yeah. Well, we have this this connect this loop that goes around up. Page, uh Sand hill road and down uh, up alpine that but but about a twelve mile loop i believe
2: right yeah it's and nice. that
1: one's that one apparently is worldwide known and people they're in bicycling guidebooks from all over the place wow. come here so yeah it's a it's a great loop um, and we have thirty six miles of hiking trails i believe um, hiking and some some of them are allowed with for uh mountain bikes and equestrian trails. What's the minimum? Do you
2: have to have one acre to have a horse? Yes, that's right. Okay, I think that's Mm -hmm. the same thing in Woodside, isn't it?
1: That's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, is there
2: anything you know? You you you've served since two thousand and nine, so you've got quite a few years of uh, public service behind Mm -hmm. you. What are some of the accomplishments that you're proud of?
1: Oh, I'm like the fact that we managed to establish a small uh, farmer's market every Thursday. It's been going on since then. Um, development of this, of this, uh, town center that was done just before I came on wow. the council finished in 2008. Um, the fact that we're hundred uh, percent, uh, or hundred percent renewable energy f- for the town. The uh, our local, uh, is a clean energy, uh, which I know the entire county is <clears throat> is involved in, uh, we started off with 100% clean energy, 100% renewable, and uh, very few people have opted out of that. Um, our stewardship of our open space, I think, is really big, important. It, it's a it's a resource that we realize is a is a regional resource. Which is
2: well, you're very blessed um, because you don't have 90% or 95% of what are the other challenges, the other cities on the right. peninsula. Is <clears throat> is there anything that you could offer to the listeners and to other mayors on what they may do to, to make their city um, more workable with housing and transportation? You're, you're looking from an outside. You're in, a, mm-hmm. you're in a paradise compared to most of the other cities that are
1: overcrowded. Sure. And I, and I, I respect the fact that they have a, a big job ahead of them. Um, You know, I think that the the county, of San Mateo, and and uh, housing housing for all, home, homes for all, I mean, the group that is spearheading a lot of the efforts in around the entire county, has made some amazing strides forward, and they have some really good um, programs and tools online that you can use to to look at options such as the affordable uh, ADUs. Um, it's there's a there's a lot of awareness in the county that this is an issue, and I think a lot of good good minds working on it. So, I think we'll get there. Right? It's just um, going to take a while. Okay. Yeah.
2: Well, on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, I want to thank you for taking the time to interview. I only have one last question for okay. you, and that is: What does it mean to you to be a public servant?
1: What's it mean to me? Just to be part of my community, That's and work with your colleagues exactly. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you're very fortunate, again, from Podcast by the Bay. We appreciate the opportunity sure. to interview you.
1: Thank you very much.
0: All right, well, we're going to get down to the thought of the episode. And so today's thought of the episode is about this article I recently read. It's called, The U.S. Cities and States Give Big Tech $9.3 Billion in Subsidies Over the Last Five Years. Uh, If you want to see the article, you can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay, or on Twitter, um, at podcastbythebay, and you can actually see the article. I actually did, did post it. And so anyways, uh, so yeah, U.S. cities and states give big tech $9.3 billion in subsidies in five years. Now, that's, these companies are Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Foxconn are among the companies taking increasingly large tax breaks in return for the promise of jobs. I guess it's interesting when I start to look at this. Um, I think I get the idea of the government trying to really encourage growth and to encourage development and to really help provide for the jobs, I think that's a good thing, right? I think there's some sort of incentives, right? Um, Instead of us going offshore or whatever, this gives us actually incentives to stay here. But this is over the last five years, right? This is not just current administrations, right? This has been going on for a long time. And when you have a company like Apple, I'm just going to take Apple for an example. And so Apple is one of those interesting companies that, they actually have their headquarters in Ireland. And so they're saving billions of dollars by doing that. And so while they pay some taxes, they're actually saving a lot of money by not paying all their taxes, right? So they're, they're, there's a significant portion that they're able to save by having their headquarters offshore. And so a lot of companies do this, a lot of tech companies actually do this. So Apple is one of the more famous ones. And I believe they're trying, they're, they're, you know, there is some you know, I think effort to, to fix that. Right. So that, you know, well, they won't be able to do that or something, you know, so I've seen some article recently where they're trying to address that. But anyways, then you have subsidies, right? So you have Apple getting subsidies. So not only are they not paying uh, a portion of their taxes, but also we, uh, the government are giving them money to actually create jobs. Right. So, I as a taxpayer am actually helping provide that uh you know subsidy that goes to Apple. So then basically I go as a consumer, I go into the Apple store, I go into the Sprint store wherever and I buy my Apple product. I buy my nice MacBook Pro, right? Whatever it is. And you're paying $2000, you know, probably even $3000 on some of them for Uh, an apple computer that's basically marked up basically and believe me i gotta pay my taxes when i buy that product right i'm you know when i buy my iphone i have to pay my taxes right so you know not only am i paying taxes but i'm also with my taxes through the government and helping give them a subsidy so they don't have to pay taxes because they uh you know are in ireland whatever so Anyways, it just makes me kind of like when I recognize that, I'm like, wow, you know, we're all connected, right? All, all these pieces, components are actually connected in a way that, you know, and then, you know, how many people here in the Bay Area have, have been able to get a job at these Apples, at the Facebooks, at the Googles, right? How many people have been able to actually go out there, local people, and actually get a job and actually tap into some of that income so they can actually survive here in the Bay Area, right? I mean, housing costs are are extremely high, right? You can't buy a house. You know, uh, And affordability for rent is just skyrocketing. So, you know, the people that are able to sustain are really the people who make enough income. And if it's these tech companies, it would be nice if, you know, The the, the people that grew up here and and, and, and know the situation as far as, you know, growing here and and lived here their whole life are actually able to actually work there as well. And so that's just when I see these kind of articles and when I see this kind of information, it just makes me wonder like, hmm, I see, right? So not only are you getting tax breaks, but we're providing subsidies through my taxes. I'm paying taxes on your product, and I can't even get a job at your company because, you know, I, I, whatever the reason is. I mean, and I think there's a lot of qualified people out there that would love to work at these Googles and the Apples and the Facebooks. They would love to. They're begging for the training. They're begging for that opportunity. But, you know, it's not that easy, as most people know. And unfortunately, um, you know, many... Uh, residents who grew up here and and have lived here their whole life can't afford to live here anymore. So, anyways, I just thought that was interesting how all those things kind of tie in to- together. and so that's today's thought of the episode. And yes, if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us podcastbythebay at gmail dot com, and uh, you can like us on Facebook facebook dot com slash podcast by the bay, or on Twitter at Podcast by the Bay. And if you want to see the article, it is on Twitter. I did put it on Twitter and Facebook. So there you go. Check it out. Until next time, stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay podcast by the bay is brought to you by highway soul productions check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with liberty realty liberty realty serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast, you can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcast by the bay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.